Thank you, all of you, for joining us today. And a deeper invitation either than just joining us, but joining in. As we have been looking at the miracles of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, greater things shall you do than these. I mean, we have numbered in the dozens upon dozens of miracles that Jesus did while on planet earth. And he upped our game by saying, you shall in your own lives do greater things than these, as he's at the right hand of the Father interceding our behalf and his spirit indwells our hearts. And it's my delight to be able to emphasize a miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, uh, and it's four different versions of the same thing. But I chose Luke, the 22nd chapter, for this great miracle about Jesus, Jesus healing the ear of the guard who had come to arrest him. But there is a lot in this passage, so let's get started. Luke 22, uh, start in verse 47. I'm breaking it down in seven different ways. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, Judas Iscariot, of course, one of the 12 disciples, was leading them. Now, there's quite a bit of political intrigue here. Uh, and it started out not in deceit on Judas's part. Uh, it had to do with a financial opportunity that Judas saw. Uh, and, and he took advantage. And then it, it was as he saw an opportunity, it was a downward vortex. He saw opportunity. He second-guessed the leadership of Jesus and then he took advantage of what might have happened. And then he began to be in denial about what it was that he did in his own deceit. Much like you and I do in our own day-to-day -to -day lives today. Uh, all he had to do was identify Jesus in the dark because Jesus was too popular to identify uh, when uh, it was daylight. So... Uh, that he was to identify Jesus at the, at the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus had spent time in prayer. And so that's where they showed up. Uh, there's a lot in that concept of Judas's uh, deceit and then betrayal, which we'll get to in just a second. But here's my first point. No matter how outrageous, no matter how grim, no matter how shocking, no matter how undeserved, even when you feel like you're a victim, the thing you are facing, God is and God will use it to accomplish his purpose. Nothing in your life is ever a waste. We need to understand that no matter what happens or no matter who works against you, the truth is God is using that, will use that. But you've got to believe that with your heart. You've got to believe from the top of your head to the tips of your toes that God is and will use this. And you need to confess that. Now, I believe Jesus knew that in his heart even in that moment. But he didn't let it pass because he called a couple of things out. And we see that moving into verse 48 of Luke 22. He approached Jesus to kiss him. 
And Jesus asked him, Judas, are you really doing this? Are you really putting on that big of a show? Don't you understand? I understand what you're doing. You're betraying the Son of Man with a kiss. And Jesus, here's what I'm saying. Number two is, betrayal is something you need to call out without fear. Because betrayal is the thing that is an obstacle of the miracle happening in your life. If you are either betraying someone, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now to speak into your life, if you have betrayed someone, you need to come to grips with that and get that turned over to God. Because if you've betrayed someone, that not only will be an obstacle between you and your relationship with the creator of the universe, it will also be an obstacle between you and that other person. And I think there's a lot more betrayal. You know what I mean? Knifing people behind their backs. Because the truth is, if you can't say it right to somebody's face, you have no business saying it behind somebody's back. And I know a lot of us don't live our lives according to that value, but I believe that that is an absolute moral value. If we lived by that, our lives could be so much richer, so much freer. We could be so much more successful than we are if we just lived by this rule, this one rule. I will not say something behind somebody's back that I have not said to their face. We need to call it out. We need to call it out of our own lives and when betrayal happens, we need to communicate to that to each other. I feel like you betrayed me is, is something that we call out without fear because to not is an obstacle. Let's move into verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with our swords? Well, the disciples were always kind of halfway believing that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom, one that they understood, power and might and popularity. Uh, they believed that the Messiah would rule and reign in a physical world, in a physical way. But Jesus, from the start, always made it clear to them that his kingdom was something of their heart, and everything starts in your heart. Now, we live in a world that still believes it's all external. That what you project is reality. That, that what people think of you really is how things are. But Jesus continually then, and I believe he continually now in our lives, reminds us that our lives are not about what people see or what people think, but what goes on inside of us. And so the disciples were saying, is now the moment and Jesus said, no, put those swords away because your sword, your fight will always get in the way of what God wants to do. Your reaction, your explosion, your word, your attitude always gets in the way of what God wants to do. There's no quicker way to delay your miracle than pull, be pulling out your sword, especially that sword that is in your mouth called your tongue. When you start lashing people with your words, it becomes a weapon of warfare. And it always gets in the way of what God wants to do because people, once you start shooting off your mouth, 
people will no longer believe in the actions of your life, especially if you inflict hurt, because people dwell on hurt. They make hurt their pet, and they nurture their pet, which is their hurt. People don't let go very easily of the things that, that you say. So we need to be careful of what we say. We also need to understand that we have a tendency ourselves to take too deeply and allow the words people use on us to cut too deeply. But if we just waited a moment, just calm down, take the drama down a notch, we'd have less complications in our lives. No, put your swords away. Don't pull them out. Don't go to war. Don't go to fighting with somebody. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We need to zip it a lot more than we need to engage our mouths. And I know I'm making our tongues the sword, but James in the third chapter says that our tongue is a sword. It's a flaming fire of evil that the enemy uses in our lives and it uses against one another. Okay, now here's the miracle we're emphasizing, verse 50. And one of them, and all four of the Gospels record this, we assume that it's Peter. Of course, here's what we do. This is the assumption we do with the disciples. Any kind of financial havoc, we always blame on Judas Iscariot, the guy that betrayed Jesus. Any kind of behavioral havoc, we always blame on Peter because he was the most outspoken. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and... Luke 22 makes it very clear, cutting off his ear, severed his ear. So not only did they, they said, shall we draw our swords? Of course, this is what we do, right? We draw our swords and then ask God, should I have drawn my sword? I mean, most of the time, most of the time in our prayer lives, we're asking God for something that we already want or that we've already done. We don't ask God ahead of time. We don't take it down a notch and calm down first. We draw our swords and start slicing away. Should we? I believe that that ear was flying in the air by the time they said, should we draw our swords? Point number four. The reaction to circumstances you face will take on a life of its own. Our reaction, Peter's reaction. Of slicing, and, and was he really going for the ear? No, I don't think so. He was a fisherman. I don't think he was that good with the sword. He was going for the head, only ended up with the ear, severing the ear off. Now, the thing is, not only does our walk and our talk need to match, I believe that 90% of the problems that are created in our lives, we caused ourselves by inappropriate or misproportional reaction to our circumstances. If we could just take the drama down, calm down, take more time, be more prayerful and thoughtful, we wouldn't have a severed bloody ear on our hands. Verse 51, but Jesus answered, no more of this. Stop! And he touched the man's ear. He retrieved the man's ear. 
and reattached. The ear was cut completely off. Jesus picked it up and reattached it. We know his name even. It was Malchus. Because Malchus became very well known after this miracle occurred. Even after Jesus' resurrection, Malchus became legendary and notorious. And that early church was used as a testimony of God's healing power. Now it's interesting how Luke, we know that that Luke had a background as a physician. So he was the one who made it so clear that Jesus reattached a severed ear to the man's head. Now I got a question for you. This is going to be strong, but I'm, I'm going to lay it out there. Do you believe that? Yeah, do you believe that his ear was cut completely off? Do you believe that Jesus picked up the ear and reattached it to his head? Do you believe that? Or are you kind of a cafeteria Christian? You know what cafeteria Christian is. They get their tray. This is pre-mask-up society so and pre-glove and mask-up society. But get your tray, move down along the buffet line, and pick and choose what you want. Are you that kind of Christian? Where you take the Bible and kind of lay it out and buy in here and, yeah, I can't completely buy in over there. I want to call you out here today. Yeah. Do you believe this? Do you believe that his ear was completely cut off and Jesus took the ear and reattached it to his head? Does God have that power? This is a life-changing question because the answer to that will determine the life-changing power you have in your own life. Do you believe I mean, we say, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And we all say, yes, I believe that. Well, I tell you what, being raised from the dead is a lot more than this miracle, reattaching an ear. But if you believe that Jesus had the power to reattach an ear, and then he said that he would give that same spiritual authority and power to our own lives to each of us as believers, are we really walking in the authority and in the faith and power of this level of miracle? Think about how things in our lives would change if we just believed. I mean, would we not live in a lot less fear if we believed that Jesus gave us the authority to reattach an ear to a head? I mean, what would bother you? Jesus in this in his Sermon on the Mount, said that we shouldn't worry about what we eat or drink or our clothes what we'll wear. Because our Heavenly Father takes care of all of that. Jesus basically forbids us to worry, but you and I, we celebrate our anxiety. We boast of it to one another. We think it's transparency, but the truth is we're trying to give each other free passes for our fear. 
instead of believing that God could overcome that in our lives. <laughs> Furthermore, do you believe? Do you believe that he took the ear and attached it to the man's head? Because if you do, there is nothing that's impossible for God to do in your own life and through your own life into the lives of other people. And if you really do believe, we need to speak that level of miracle and faith and believe into each other that with God, all things are possible and in God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe it? Verse 52, then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion? I mean, we're praying here. I mean, it was the Garden of Gethsemane the night after the Last Supper. We're praying here. Am I leading rebellion here? Yeah, rebellion of prayer. That you've come with me with swords and clubs. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. I mean, he's being pretty intimate with these guys at that moment. He's saying, we were together. We, we were together at the temple. We saw miracles that God did. We had intimate spiritual moments together. You were there. We were there together. The disciples, Judas, who's betraying him. Even those Pharisees and those high priests, they were in the temple. They shared spiritual moments. We don't realize that, do we? We don't realize how many spiritual moments that these people who were arresting Jesus and eventually would put him to death, shared with him. But this is your hour. Darkness is reigning. My sixth point is, sacred moments shared together versus believing a lie. Which do you choose? But, it doesn't matter which way you choose, miracles are happening in the midst of it all. Whether you share sacred moments or whether you believe a lie. God is still working. You cannot stop God with unbelief. Verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. This would be where Peter would eventually deny him three times before the rooster crowed. So I kind of summarize it up. My seventh concept here is that miracles flow as you quit seizing something and start surrendering it. Instead of holding on so tight to control it, we relax and surrender it to God. And I believe that if we believe, this miracle, I believe the belief part of something as powerful and prolific as Jesus reattaching the ear onto the head of his enemy, the person that was there to enforce the arrest, if we believe that Jesus can do that to him, that he can do that in and through my life, then the only response is to surrender to him. Let's pray together. Father, 
I thank you for this powerful miracle we could share from Luke 22 that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John as well. I thank you that it's so prolific and challenging that we cannot ignore it. We cannot explain it away. It's not some sort of metaphysical phenomena. It's of you and from you and for us today. And I know that there are people that are listening here that have a boatload of need. And if we're listening in real time in July of 2020, we're in the midst of a real need with a pandemic virus that's freed in our world. But we know that no matter how powerful a virus is, that you, God, are greater and more powerful than that. We surrender to you, O God, because you're our protector and you're our source. And forgive us because we get so full of ourselves. Forgive us when we have that spirit of deceit and betrayal like Judas or that spirit of fear and that reaction like Peter. That one moment would be slicing at the head of a soldier and the second one following at a distance, afraid, and then denying you. Forgive us, God, because we are guilty of all of that. Renew in us a pure heart. In Jesus' name, and we said together,